0: Now, I know it's been a long time since I've been here. I think it was the 27th, 22nd of uh, November was the last time I made it. Uh, <clears throat> I had to take off the whole month of December because my, my wife had things for me to do every Sunday. <laughs> and then uh, things, things got a little messed up in January, so I finally got here the last day of January. So I can say I've been here in January. And the weather was really great. You folks were very uh, <clears throat> very welcoming with your weather today. Uh, where I come from, we have had snow. I've had the snow blower out three or four times to move five, six inches of snow at a time. But uh, so, you know, we've had some winter. Nothing terribly cold. <clears throat> One of the things that I've been doing in the last... Three four weeks, as you know. Sometimes I do some subbing at the public school in Westfield, and uh, for the past th- past almost four weeks now, I was asked to do some tutoring of a student who got suspended from school, and he was suspended presumably for about a month, uh, but then they've added another couple weeks to it, so he's going to be out of school for a total of six weeks and. Uh, I, it's my, my job to make sure that he understands uh, biology, Spanish, social studies, English, math, um, and uh, one other one I can't, oh, and, and, and business courses. And so I've been, I've been tutoring him. He's in ninth grade, so these are high school subjects. So I've been a little bit busy because I don't know all that stuff. <laughs> So, I've had to learn it. <laughs> Man, so I've learned all about the function of S, I mean, F, the function of, of G's. Oh, I'm telling you. But the Lord has been good, and it gives me an opportunity to, to have a definite ministry because it's dawned upon me recently that whether this kid is successful when he gets back into school might depend on how well I do my job. So, it's a sobering thing. You could pray. I'm going to have him for another two weeks. You can pray that God might give me good opportunities to uh, somehow share Christ. I know that because he's a public school student, I can't preach to him. But uh, God may open up some doors, especially since now um, we've had to invite him to my house to do the tutoring. And so I have him right there in my office with all my books and computers and, and Bibles and all that stuff and and monkeys, my wife has monkeys, so I'm the biggest one. Well, at any rate, the last time I was here, I directed your attention to Romans chapter eight, verses 1 to four, which we read this morning in our responsive reading. And at that time, I emphasized the truth that was in the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful verse of scripture that is, what a wonderful promise that is, that for those who are in Christ, you, you do not have the burden and concern about judgment, condemnation, uh, eternal separation from God, but uh, you live at peace with God, you're no longer hostile to God, you're, you're at peace with God, you have uh, the beginnings of the fruit of the Spirit in your life that we read about love, joy. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, all of those good things that God is doing in your life. And the biggest, biggest truth about all of that is just, because, just as God the Father cannot judge God the Son, he already did that at the cross, and then he raised him from the dead after the cross, God is going to treat, treat those who are in Christ in exactly the same way that even if you perish and are put six feet under, like many folks are and have been for the last 2,000 years, um, the day comes when God will raise us from the dead just as he raised Christ from the dead. Of course, in the meantime, we're always with Christ. We're never gonna be separated from Christ. Nothing, not death, not the grave, not anything else can actually separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So that's a wonderful promise that Paul started out with in Romans chapter 8. But I wanted to pick up today at verse 5, and that's what I want to talk about. And, and as you look at verse 5, you see that the Apostle Paul makes a major distinction here. It's a major distinction in verses 5 and 6, where he said that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul starts out here trying to set things in black and white, if you please, making a major distinction between what it is for an individual that is in Christ, what it is for an individual who is not in Christ. Now, the distinction is wide, the distinction is clear. and. What he wants to get across here more than anything else is that the distinction is in the way we think. Okay? You might have, you might have been expecting me to say that the, that the distinction is in the way we behave. Of course, that's a factor. But we, have, we, we behave the way we do because we think the way we do. And that's the most important thing. The biggest distinction is in the way we think. We have different mindsets when you become a Christian to develop a different mindset. It's not perfect, even at that point, because we are told in Romans chapter 12, as you guys probably studied when Jeremy was teaching the class, we are to be regularly being transformed in the renewing of our mind. And what that means is we are to be renewing our mindset day by day, week by week by week. It's not something that just happened, boom, one time, that's it, it's all done. You know, the renewing of the mindset the renewing of the mindset, making it more and more conformed to Christ is an ongoing thing, but it's there, it's present. And that's something that the, the person who is not in Christ doesn't understand because he's never reached that point where he's gotten past the normal mindset that an individual would have. So again, the focus here is not so much on behavior as it is on the way we think. And that's what this chapter is all about. How do we approach life? How do we live out our life? And the Apostle Paul says very clearly that those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Now, uh, I personally believe that the Apostle Paul is making this distinction between the way a Christian thinks the way a non-Christian thinks. However, not everybody puts it quite that way. Some Bible teachers have tried to make the distinction to be one between a Christian who is being spiritually minded, doing what he's supposed to do as a Christian, and the Christian who is not doing as God would want him to. In other words, there are some folks that would say that this is all about two different kinds of Christians, Christians that are living like they're supposed to and Christians that aren't quite up to it. I don't believe that that's true, but, but you will, as you come, as you read commentaries or as you listen to speakers, you will hear that uh, particular viewpoint presented. In fact, I was looking at Dick Ross's uh, uh, expositional Bible, maybe that's Darla's, I don't know, but they had it out on the table this morning and I looked it up and Jimmy Swigert Uh, takes the position, this is between Christians who act like Christians and Christians that don't act like Christians. And uh, so that's his position. So I just want you to know that what I am trying to get across here today has some variations in the way people look at it. But here's the thing. I believe that the Apostle Paul wants us to understand the, the way Christians are supposed to think and behave, of course, by... Putting it in stark relief to the way non Christians usually think. And then, of course, their behavior comes out of the way they think. So, as I go through this, I'm going to more or less be talking about Christian, non Christian. Because here's the deal even if I'm wrong in that approach, the the person, the person who is acting like a non-Christian might as well be one for all practical purposes because that's the way he's thinking. That's the way he's acting. And the Apostle Paul definitely would want such a person to get his act together because that's not the way Christians ought to be conducting themselves. So just so you understand, as I go through this, I'm just going to use the term Christian, non-Christian, because I want you to see the stark relief, and the Apostle Paul wants you to see that there are two different ways of thinking that affects our behavior, and you can apply it however you would, would like to. We all admit, of course, that Christians generally fall short of sainthood when it comes to living the Christian life. Uh, I don't know very many Christians that have reached perfection yet. Even the Apostle Paul says, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, so listen, we're not talking about whether you're perfect or imperfect. That's not what it's all about. What we're talking about is what our mindset is. Now, many, many folks in terms of maturity, they're not quite there yet. But Paul is not addressing maturity here, I don't believe. He's addressing Mindsets. He's arguing that the saved and the unsaved base their thinking on two fundamentally different approaches to, uh, to life. He's saying that the mindset of the unsaved person is motivated by self-interest. The mindset of the Christian person is motivated by the pursuit of godliness in the sense of god-likeness. That's that's where we're going. That's where we're heading. We're in pursuit of holiness. We want to be like Christ. We want to be like God. We want to exhibit the character qualities that God has, the qualities of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. Did you know that God wants to be known as a merciful and gracious God? That's what he wants to be known as. And so many times we think of God as, as the policeman in the sky and the judge combined, and uh, probably the correction officer as well, and we have the wrong attitude about God. God wants to be known as gracious, kind, merciful, but he's, he's stern. He's stern. I mean, he's, he's like a mother, you know, like a father. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, actually, I, I, I came prepared with my Marco Rubio, but... I appreciate that. (laughs) I'm going to take this anyway. Nope, doesn't fit. All right. Now, I want to illustrate my point a little bit by something that happened on New Year's Day. If you were watching the New Year's Day Tournament of Roses parade, you saw something interesting that happened. Uh, when the Stanford University marching band went by, it looked like they were marching to a different drummer. Do you remember that? Anybody see that? Am I the only one? Oh, Dwayne saw it, okay. Well, they were not following the rules of marching bands. Okay? They, didn't, they, they had no marching formation. They had no uniforms, no precision turning. There was no moving forward in a regular, specific pattern. They looked like a mob of noisemakers walking down the street. Is that right, Dwayne? See? At least I have a witness. Now... They're, to their credit, they were playing the same musical score. I could understand the tune, all right. But their excuse was that the, the Stanford football team had just recently been given the privilege of playing in the Rose Bowl, and so you know, the, the, the band had not had time to prepare. That may be true, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they've been doing the whole semester, but, uh, but, they, but at any rate, that's the way they appeared. And uh, they did get censored for it, by the way. They did get censored for it. Um, I didn't really care one way or another, personally, but, but they were different. They were very different. They were not conforming to the rules of marching, I can tell you that. And, and, and yet they, they were there. Now, they must have had a different mindset when it came to how, came to how they were going to participate in the Rose Bowl Parade. And the the difference between the Stanford Marching Band and the Iowa Marching Band, they were the two teams in the Rose Bowl, was very different. They had different mindsets as to what constitutes a marching band. And I'm saying to you today that this is a little bit like what it is with my subject matter, that walking in the spirit is a different mindset from walking according to the flesh. They're just different. They don't conform to the normal patterns. They don't conform to the normal expectations. Okay, They're different. Now, that's one of the reasons I included Galatians 5.25 in the response to reading. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You could translate that. If you're going to be in the parade, you better march like a marching band. <laughs> that's all it's saying. You know, You conform to the expectations of that. Uh, now, the Greek word in that phrase, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit, is a military term. It could be paraphrased as march forward in a line. You know how sometimes the military gets in their uh, uh, groups and they march down the street? Precision all the way. Precision. It's beautiful to watch. The orderly way in which it's done. Okay, And... One of my Greek lexicons says that it means to frame one's conduct by a certain rule. Another one says it means to hold to, agree with, or follow a specific rule of conduct. The same word is used in Romans 4.12, where it exhorts all men, both Jews and Gentiles alike, to follow in the footsteps of faith that Abraham exemplified. So that's what he's saying. If you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Conform to the expectations of of the uh, uh, group. So when Paul says, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit, he clearly means that Christians should move forward in their Christian experience in accordance with the drum beat sounded forth by the Holy Spirit himself. So as you move forward in your Christian life, please don't follow the example of the Stanford University marching band. Instead, uh, get, get in gear the way God wants you to go ahead. Now, in today's text, we want to present this idea how God wants Christians to specifically to move forward through their Christian experience. But what Paul is doing in this section is making it clear what the difference is. What is the difference between the mindset of the believer the mindset of the non-believer? And, he, and he's just laying it out starkly so that you can understand it. And again, it's a mindset. It doesn't focus on behavior as much as it does on the way you think about what you're doing, okay? Verse six, the apostle describes the final outcome of the two different ways of walking. He says the mindset of the flesh leads to death. The mindset of the spirit leads to life and peace. Now what does that mean? Philosophers would tend to say that death is nothing but the natural outcome of life. You know, part of life, they say. Uh, I guess they expect us to take comfort in the idea that eventually we'll have no further consciousness of anything. Not even of the beetles gnawing away on our decaying flesh or the the falling drip by drip of water on our stuffed-up noses. I don't know. But... They think of death in that way. It's all over, that's it. Well, Paul doesn't define death in that way. When Paul uses the word death, he's really talking about separation from the eternal God, regardless of whether that separation takes place in this life or in the life to come. In other words, you can live your life today in the flesh right now as though you are separated from God, you have nothing to do with God, or you live in such a way that you share in the life of God. And that's the difference of mindsets. Where are you on this continuum? Now, in Romans 6.23, Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Clearly the death that Paul is talking about is the opposite of life and the opposite of eternal life. But here's the thing you need to understand. Eternal life not only is a gift of God and not only is death the paycheck for a life lived in pursuit of sin, but eternal life is something that begins the day you become a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, I've had eternal life since I was 14 years old. And you know I'm a couple days older than that. As a matter of fact, just for the record, four weeks ago, I became 78. So there. And so 14 minus 78 was 64 years. I've had eternal life for 64 years already. It's been wonderful. I'm glad I have it. Okay? But eternal life starts at that point. Jesus taught this, and this is what you need to know. Jesus taught that a knowledge of God is eternal life. This is what he said in John 17. He prayed to God the Father, and he said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Leon Morris, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, puts it this way. To know God transforms a man and introduces him to a different quality of living. Eternal life is the knowledge of God. Jesus stresses that there is but one God, and he's the true God. It is not just a knowledge of a God. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about a knowledge of the supreme ruler of the universe, and he links that knowledge of God with a knowledge of Christ. I'm still quoting. The only way to know God is through the revelation that God has made, and he has revealed himself in his Son. It's not possible to know God in just any way we choose. We must know him whom God has sent, namely Jesus Christ. Now, I can tell you one thing right now. Leon Morris has a different way of thinking than most of the people in this world. Because most of the people in this world think that there are hundreds of ways to find out about God. Leon Morris says there's one way to find out about God, and that's through a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, folks hate us for that. Folks hate us for that. Saying things like that. But that's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus said. He said that to know God is eternal life. To know God correctly as the true God is life eternal. So, those who walk according to the flesh put their trust in themselves. And the mistaken ability to search out the truth of God. But those who walk according to the spirit, well, they, life ends in life and peace and in the true knowledge of God. Verses 7 and 8 give us what we can call a major exposition. Or we could even use the word exposure. Um, I, I couldn't use the word exposure because it didn't end with T-I-O-N. You know, you've got to have things lined up in parallel, so I, I had to use something else. I used exposition here. But it's an exposure of man's problems. All right, Paul gives us several reasons why the mindset is so different, the fundamental distinctions. Notice especially verse 7 where he says that the mindset of the non-Christian is hostility or enmity toward God. Now, there's a lot of people in the world that claim that their constitutional uh, rights are freedom from religion in the sense of freedom from religion. There's a lot of folks saying that nowadays. They say, yeah, I believe in freedom from religion. And by that they mean, so you don't talk to me about your religion, I don't want to hear it. In fact, if you're going to practice your religion, you go to your church building or your temple or your mosque. You go wherever you want as long as it's inside four walls, and then you can talk about your religion. And you can have freedom there. So welcome to the place of freedom, folks. But after you step outside, then everybody wants you to not talk to them about the Lord. You know, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine drove to New York City this past week to see his brother who was in the hospital having uh, bypass surgery. I think they called it quintuple bypass surgery. That's five, five surgeries, five bypass things, uh, whatever they do. I don't know. I've never had it. Uh, he, in order to keep his heart working, pumping blood through his system. But you know what? When my friend... Wanted to say a prayer for him. The guy that just had quintuple bypass surgery said, Oh, you're not going to talk to me about that kind of stuff, are you? I guess he had another heart attack just like that, but that's the way it is. They don't want to hear it. As a pastor, I used to go into hospitals. Usually I went in to see somebody that was in the congregation. But, you know, most hospitals have rooms where there are two people, and so sometimes I would, uh, I would also take a moment and, and uh, just step to the other bed and, and uh, introduce myself and ask him if he'd like to have a, a prayer with me uh, or if I could have a prayer with him. And he'd say, well, sure, it won't help, won't hurt. <laughs> so I just did what didn't hurt, you know, I just said prayer. But I, I believe that God does answer prayer. He really does. He really does answer prayer. But some folks are hostile even to the point they don't want anybody praying for them. So we see some of this hostility in the way our nation has fought tooth and nail people, many people, to keep public prayer out of the schools, to keep the Ten Commandments out of public buildings, uh, to make sure that there aren't any nativity scenes in in the local park, Uh, to make sure that nobody puts a cross up on a hillside somewhere that I have to look at as I drive by. They don't want, in God we trust, on your money. Uh, They want to get rid of all that stuff. I I say to you, they simply hate God. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but they have a mindset of enmity toward God. You don't want anything that suggests a knowledge of God. Then the third reason, the third reason is really more de- uh, a more uh, uh, fundamental distinction, devastating. In verse 7b it says, they are not and they cannot be subject to the law of God. Paul is very strong here when he says that the people who are not in the Lord don't even have the ability to submit to the law of God, even if they should try, they don't have the ability. Uh, the apostle, uh, when when John was ta- apostle, John, or Jesus, I mean, was talking to uh, Nicodemus. You know, he told him, "No, you have to be born again. You have to be born again of the Spirit. You you can't just do it on your own. You have to have a new birth. You have a new spiritual birth that comes to you by uh, putting your faith in the Son of God." And God takes care of that, and I've talked to you about it. Uh, The Apostle Peter said in Acts 2.38 that we repent of our sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the change when we have the Holy Spirit placed into our hearts by God as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. God takes care of the rest. God takes care of that. Then verse 8 goes on to, to say that The problem of man's inability is those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the thing that's interesting. Not only can they not submit to the law of God, they can't even please God. There's absolutely nothing that can be done to please God by those who are not in Christ. And I like the way the original Greek puts it. And it says says in the original, and this is the word order, he says, but those who are in the flesh to please God, they cannot. That's the word order. That's the word order. Those who are in the flesh to please God, they cannot. That's how strongly the Apostle Paul put that when he originally wrote it. So no matter what a man in the flesh does to please God, it doesn't work. You know, a few days ago, Donald Trump boasted that he went to church last Sunday. I don't know. I I, I doubt that God gave him a standing ovation for that, but that's what he said. I don't know. I mean, I'm not God, so I don't know, but... I, I, just, I just doubt that God stood up there and clapped his hands. Yay, Donald. Somehow or other. You see, a big part of man's problem of inability is also found with the ease in which he does pursue bad behavior. Now, I said this is not about behavior per se. This is about the way people think. But Paul would also argue that the way we think spills over into things that people do. And in Galatians 5, he gives a whole list of those. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. My point, though, is that the mindset is what establishes the output. Input, output. What's the input? What's the output? And what is in your head, what's in your heart, is what affects the way you behave. Now, many times we can control our behaviors. There are lots of things that we can do to control our behaviors. So, you know, I don't know of anybody that uh, falls short in all of these things I just read. You know, that doesn't happen. There's a lot of nice folks around. But uh, the mindset can spill over into these things. Now, all of these behaviors do show a refusal to submit to the law of God since the law addresses these works of the flesh. Paul doesn't actually talk about these works of the flesh here in Romans 8. I quoted that from Galatians 5. He doesn't talk about it in Romans 8, perhaps because he mentions some of them in earlier chapters, but I, I really believe that, that he doesn't mention them here because he really wants to talk about the way people think rather than about the way they act. It's the mindset. It's how you approach the things of God that really matters. So he ends up in verses nine to 11 with what I would call a major explanation. In these verses, Paul explains what is different for the Christian. Why is the believer different? What makes the difference? And he talks about the difference being caused by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remember what I read from Peter? Peter said, repent and believe and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what we are called upon to do is repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and God takes care of of our need. God takes care of giving us the Holy Spirit and it's that indwelling Holy Spirit that makes the difference in the way we think and in the way we behave. It's not that we just all of a sudden woke up one day and said, you know what? I'm going to be a good person from now on. It doesn't work that way. Believe me, it doesn't work that way. Until you realize that you need Christ. You need Christ as your Savior and you need to confess Christ as your Lord. Then God takes over puts His Holy Spirit into your heart and enables you to live successfully the Christian experience and until you have that Holy Spirit in your life you're not going to be successful. So you see it's not a big mystery in a way I know, I stand up here and talk for a half hour and I make it sound like a big mystery. No, it's not that way. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes the difference. And that's what Paul talks about here. He says to the, his readers, notice what he says to his readers in verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. By this statement, Paul assures his readers He does not see them as those who walk after the flesh. He sees them as living according to the Spirit. He sees them as blood-bought, born-again, baptized in the Holy Spirit and the water type Christians. That's who he sees. Notice he says there in verse 9 that they have the Spirit of God living in them. In fact, he says, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to God. If you don't have the spirit, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't even belong to the Lord. And if Christ is in you, he says in verse 10, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, when he says, if Christ is in you, or if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, he's not making it conditional, because the word if is another one of those special words that means uh, not if, but if, and it is. If, and it is so. If, in fact, and in fact it is. Uh, that's the way we're supposed to understand that. We, we often would translate it with the word since. You know, or since the Holy Spirit is in you. Da-da, 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 da Okay. So Paul says that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in him, then that person does not belong to Christ that's how clear-cut this whole thing is. We're either in the flesh or we're in the spirit. We're either Christians, non-Christians, either the spirit indwells us or the spirit does not. And Paul makes it in very stark terms. Now, the opposite of belonging is not belonging, and that's actually the way Paul put it there in at the end of that verse. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. But if we do belong to Jesus, we're safe, we're secure, we belong to Christ. And the good news that comes out all of that is there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, the songwriter put it this way in in, uh, the song, Now I Belong to Jesus. Remember that beautiful song? The, The words to the first verse are something like this, Jesus my Lord will love me forever, from him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul, and now I belong to him. Or once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to him. Joy floods my soul for Jesus has saved me, freed me from sin that long had enslaved me. His precious blood he gave to redeem. Now I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone but for eternity. is that great? That's great. You know when I learned that song? When I was 14 years old. <laughs> wow. Well, we're running out of time, so let me just finish reading my text. Verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. And all Paul is saying in these verses is, Look, I know, I know that we still have trouble in the body. We do. We get sick We have injuries, Uh, we have accidents, Uh, we have um, genetic problems, we have handicaps, we have all kinds of problems that can afflict the body. And then the biggest problem of course is that we die. At some point our flesh, our organs, our heart, our brain just quits working. And, and that's something that consumes a lot of our thinking, you know, it really does. But the promise that is given to us is look, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, that same spirit will raise you from the dead to spend eternity with God in heaven. And that's the blessing of that. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the promise. Not only of eternal life in the sense of a knowledge of God, but of eternal life in the sense of ever living in the presence of a holy God. Now folks, that's what keeps me going. What keeps me going is that I know there's a mansion in the hilltop that God has prepared for me someday. And so I can put up with a lot of stuff right now. I do thank God that I haven't had to compared to what some people go through, but I can because I know this isn't, I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet, folks. I'm still on a trip. (laughs) But one day I'm gonna be with Jesus in person not just in spirit, but in person, and that keeps me going. So my prayer for us today, my prayer for us is that we might have the Holy Spirit indwell and fill our lives, so we might begin to enjoy all the privileges, all the privileges. When we have the Holy Spirit in our life, we can begin to develop The character traits of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. And there's one other that I forgot. Huh? Meekness. Okay. Meekness or gentleness. Probably I forgot that because I'm not very gentle. I don't know. I got to work on that, right? (laughs) But we begin to develop those. And... The thing is, as we begin to develop the fruit of the Spirit, then we become God-like, and that's, that's the journey we're taking, isn't it? That's where we're heading. That's where we're marching to. We want to get to the finish line, where we see God, and he says to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's close our service with a song. Uh, I think I picked out one, one, picked out number 80, if I'm not mistaken. It says, "Breathe on me, breath of God." Yeah. So we'll just close with a song. But as